stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, uh, of course, one of the things that's been dominating the news is the Asiana Airlines crash. And uh, we can't, you know, we don't, it's, it's, of course, it's incredibly horrible and sad and so many people were hurt. And it's amazing that only two were killed. Um, but uh, so of course, today we're going to be taking that, that disaster and uh, using that as sort of a, a way to explore uh, when bad plane crashes happen to good passengers and why. And, of course, we have a perfect person to explore this with, and that is uh, Ace Abbott. That's his pen name. He um, is an author of two books, and that's his pen name for these two books. Um, And the books are called Dead Tired, Pilot Fatigue, Aviation's Insidious Killer, about cockpit fatigue syndrome, and The Rogue Aviator, about his 36 years uh, as a pilot. It's a memoir of these years um, in which he visited 44 countries and all the major cities, and he has flown um, many different types of planes and and been in situations similar to uh, the Asiana Airlines flight. Um, he, He First, he started by being in the United States Air Force, and he became an F-4 Phantom pilot based in the Far East, interestingly. And then he began his civilian career as a Learjet corporate and charter pilot. And then during the last 22 years of his career, he flew Boeing 727s. And this was a Boeing 777 that crashed. And he accumulated um, 11,000 hours in the captain's chair with several different airlines and many more hours um, altogether. So, Ace, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Dr. Carroll. It's nice being with you. I appreciate the invitation. Well, you know, I'm sure you've been following this uh, in great detail, all the reports that are coming out uh, as they try to get to the bottom of this. And so far, I mean, they, of course, they say that it takes months. But um, right now it's looking like the predominant problem was pilot error. Unquestionably, and we, we, we hate to throw the onus on, on the pilots and, and, uh, um, and, and, and uh, call it pilot error right now, but it's, it's pretty flagrantly pilot error. And, and of course, uh, when, when, when it's clear skies, nice weather, calm winds, you have an 11,000-foot runway, and, and you land well short of the runway, 
in in the overrun, it, it's just it's it's just blatant pilot error. But there's there's some causes, there's some precursors well, that, that led well, to that pilot error. And, and well, wait before we get into that because I know that uh, um, that's what we're going to explore. But I just wanted to ask you about that. What about the fact that there was something, uh, some system not working at San Francisco Airport? That's correct, Carol, and that's what we call the ILS or instrument landing system, and that's the electronic gadgetry that allows the uh, airplane to fly down a electronic glide path with an electronic center line to land the airplane at 1,000 feet down the runway. And the vast majority of landings, particularly in large, highly automated airplanes like the 777, are effectuated with the use of the autopilot and the ILS. And in this case, the ILS was inoperative, but the flight crew had a backup three-degree glide slope reference, and that's what we call PAPI, P-A-P-I, Precision Approach Lights that uh, allow uh, the pilots to look at these lights and determine if they're on the three-degree glide slope above it or below it. If they get well below it, they have uh, four red lights. If they're slightly below it, they have three red lights and a white light. And uh, if they're above it, there's there's all white lights. But at any rate, they could have used this as a reference for that three-degree glide slope that would have landed them 1,000 feet down the runway. However, they had gotten so far behind the airplane in in that uh, they uh, they started the approach very very high, and uh, they were cleared for a visual approach. Uh, at at a very high altitude, and instead of extending their downwind leg a little longer so they flew farther away from the airport, which would have made it easier for them to get down to the appropriate altitude, they pulled the power levers all the way back to idle and descended at a very high rate of speed. So now as they approached the uh, runway and got within three or four miles of the runway, they had a very high sink rate. They were still descending quite rapidly. And then when they arrested the, the, uh, the uh, sink rate, the descent rate, if you will, they pulled the nose up, but they didn't add power. And as they didn't add power, what happened, of course, is the airspeed diminished severely. And then as the airspeed diminished severely, it got to a point where they were what's termed behind the power curve. And when a, a swept wing jet airplane gets behind the power curve, that means that they are extremely slow, well below the uh, desired approach speed and approaching a stall. And you might remember uh, that uh, it was discussed that they did experience the stick shaker, which indicates you're just a few knots uh, from stall. You're uh, approaching a stall. You know, I'm having a little trouble. I think you're... you're um... Uh, there's some distortion of your voice this last this last minute or so. Okay, I think we might have lost um, Ace, um, and so I hope that uh, my producer at, at uh, Voice America is listening to this, and we'll we'll get him back on the line. Um, you know, I, in the meantime, one thing that I can talk to you about, since I'm not an expert in flying planes, um, I can, however, talk to you about uh, fear of flying, 
because one of the things that I did after 9-11 was to create a, an audio and then a video program that was played on airlines, on commercial airlines and private airlines, uh, charter planes, um, for people to help people with fear of flying. Um, to, you know, after 9-11, of course, every, lots of people had a more intense fear of flying this time because of um, being afraid that their plane was going to be um, uh, commandeered by terrorists. But when there, when in addition to something like that, there's sort of a general fear of flying that people feel and that it has to do with a sense of loss of control. Um, when that's the main reason behind people's fear of flying, because you're sitting in a seat, um, uh, thousands or a countless number, a countless number of miles above the earth, and you are dependent upon pilots uh, to. You're putting your life in somebody else's hands, and um, and that, particularly for people who like to be in control in general in their life, um, that is a very scary concept. And so. Um, uh, that, that causes people to, to feel afraid, to feel anxious. And unfortunately, the main thing that people do to try to quell this anxiety is drink. You know, they stop off at the bars, at the airports, and uh, fuel themselves up, or certainly they drink a lot on the plane as well. Um, we also have other things to distract us on planes, television, movies, Wi-Fi, um, books, uh, you know, the, the uh, entertainment, um, airline, in-flight entertainment, um, which is why my, my program, uh, which was called, well, I called the concept Shrink on Board, and my program um, itself was called The Art of Relaxation. And so people could uh, play on the audio and then the video um, this, this program in which I narrate a series of guided images to help um, the passengers feel more relaxed and uh, not have fear of flying. And, you know, this it's, fear of flying isn't just a psychological problem. It's also, it can have physical consequences. Um, for example, heart attacks, obviously, if you get too anxious for too long on a plane, or uh, it can also have um, a situation, cause a situation called deep vein thrombosis, um, which can dislodge, the thrombosis can dislodge and go into your lungs and, and cause death. Uh, so it's a very serious kind of problem. It's not just, you know, it's not something to just laugh about, uh, you know, oh, I'm scared to fly. And plus, of course, there are ramifications in one's life, um, you know, for vacation. If you don't want to fly, that cuts down on all the places you can go. And for work um, or for family uh, visits and so on, I mean, there's lots of things that uh, that how this cuts your life inhibits you from doing things in your life that are really important. So, um, so it's not. And whenever there's something like this, a plane crash, like the Asiana airline crash, um, then um, that makes that reminds people. It breaks breaks into our denial about what can happen actually on a plane, and uh, all of a sudden we we're reminded again. Oh yes. <laughs> These things can crash. This isn't, uh, I'm, not, I'm not hanging from a, I don't know, a steel rope or something up in the sky. Um, actually, you know, things can, can happen where the plane crashes, whether it's pilot error or a problem in the airplane itself um, or bad weather. 
I mean, there are uh, many different things that could happen, and we we kind of turn off those thoughts, or many of us turn off those thoughts, um, or try to, when we board a plane, and um, and you know, and then and then these news events happen. And uh, why don't we take a break in the meantime? You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. So stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for us at keyword voice America. Are you happy with the management and leadership style of your organization? Do you think it could use some improvement? No matter the level of leadership at your organization, you'll be sure to learn something new when you tune in to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Through a unique lecture and interview format, we'll bring you ideas, questions, and answers that will help you run any organization, whether for stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I think I'm going to rename today's show when bad phone lines happen to good hosts and their guests. <laughs> Actually, we're talking about when bad plane crashes happen to good passengers and why. And my guest is Ace Abbott. He is a pilot with over 36 years of aviation experience, um, including on the Boeing um, planes and um, Boeing, he was on the Boeing 727, and the one that crashed, the Asiana Airline plane that crashed, was, was a 777. But he's also been in various positions in the cockpit, which he's going to tell you about. He's the author of two books, Dead Tired, Pilot Fatigue, Aviation's Insidious Killer, and The Rogue Aviator, a memoir of his of his career uh, as a pilot. So, Ace, we were, as we were saying... Um, we were talking. We were talking. I had asked you about uh, um, the possibility that the um, that the failure at the San Francisco airport, or the fact that it was turned off this uh, automatic system, uh, could that have played a role? And you were explaining about how really, really, that's not an excuse. Basically, is what you were saying, and it comes down to pilot error. 
Yes, and in, in what, what happened is the pilots normally have this electronic uh, glide slope, the instrument landing system. In the uh, uh, the autopilot flies the airplane right down to the runway, and then the pilots land the runway. That's the normal modus operandi. But the ILS wasn't available, so they had to manually hand fly the airplane, and they had they were basically flying a visual approach, which means now that they had to. Uh, determine uh, uh, with visual cues how high they should be and how fast they should be and where they were in relationship to the uh, to the runway. And uh, there were some extenuating circumstances here in that the approach is over water. And when you're over water flying airplanes, the depth perception determining how high you are is, is very difficult. And... Uh, uh, so it's a little more difficult to fly a visual approach over water as, as, as they were, but they did have, as a backup, the Pappy lights, and, and that's the, uh, the precision approach lights that are, are at uh, the end of the runway, basically 1,000 feet that guide the airplane on a visual approach to the 1,000-foot uh, point. But unfortunately, this particular flight, was way behind, and I, when I say way behind, they did not have the airplane configured and uh, at, at uh, a proper approach speed with the engines, what we call spooled up at a normal power setting that flies the airplane down the glide slope because they were descending, they had been descending to get down to this three-degree glide slope at a very, very high rate of descent, and they descended through the glide slope. And after they descended, after they descended through the glide slope, they then got very, very slow. Uh-huh. Let, me, let me put that guy away there. Sorry about that, folks. They descended through the glide slope and got very, very slow, and then they didn't have enough power available to fly the airplane out of what is referred to as, as a deep stall. It wasn't quite a deep stall, but it was on the brink of it. They were, they were at, a, at a very nose-high attitude with a very slow speed, and it takes a lot of power and a lot of altitude to get the airspeed back and, and get the airplane flying properly again. And they just, they simply got too low. They, they, got, they got harried and hurried on the approach because they were working hard trying to get down. Now, well, that's what happened, uh, you know, that's what happened physically, if you will. But, but now as, 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 we, uh, as we backtrack this flight in this accident slash incident, as is the case in most aviation accidents and incidents, it's a, uh, you know, it, it's a it, it's a uh, chain of events that that leads to uh, uh, that leads to the accident or incident. In in this case, for instance, these pilots had been in this airplane for at least twelve hours. They were coming up on the end of an eleven hour flight. Now it's an augmented flight crew, so so perhaps uh, the pilots got some sleep during that flight, as on an augmented flight crew on a long flight, they, they, are, they are allowed to uh, go, go back in their designated sleep area and, and, and catch a little catnap. Perhaps they didn't get their catnap, so perhaps they were very, very tired. All right, and, uh, uh, of course, we mentioned the other extenuating circumstances. The ILS was inoperative, but now there's another element that I think plays a big role in this accident, and... Uh, that's something a little obscure that, that most people aren't aware of, but the Oriental culture, particularly the male Oriental culture, <laughs> is is imbued with a uh, what we'll call a, a, a face-saving syndrome. 
and, and that is uh, they, they, they don't like to be recognized as making errors. They do not want, they do not want their errors to be shown. And with that, with that, they show deference. The, the male will show deference to the authority. And the guy flying the airplane in the left seat effectively is the authority, even though the training captain in the right seat is, is, uh, technically responsible for the airplane. In, you mean, in, so wait, wait, the, you mean the, the, the man flying the plane who was in training, he had only had, um, how many hours was it? Do you remember? Yeah, they said, he had 40, they said uh, Dr. Carroll, he had 43 hours of, of uh, flight time in that airplane, but he had, he had never landed in San Francisco in that airplane, which really shouldn't be a consideration because he's made over his career. He's, he had actually flown many flights in the San Francisco in, in different airplanes, probably in the 747. But this was his first landing at, at the, uh, uh, at, at the uh, San Fran airport. And so, at any rate... Yeah. Well, so are you saying that, um, that even though he was the one, the one at the controls was, was in training and there was a teacher um, uh, supervised, supposed to be supervising him, you're saying that the that the trainer wouldn't have told him, wouldn't have told the student that he was making a mistake. That's correct. He should have. He should have have intervened long before the airplane got that close to the runway in that dangerous situation. But for some reason, he failed to he, he failed to intervene, and and. Uh, uh, as, as a result, the airplane was flown into a very dangerous situation from which it was too low and too slow to be to, to be flown out of, if you will. And, and uh, at any rate, the, uh, uh, the, the, the 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 problem is is the uh, uh, the trainee pilot was letting the airplane get away from him and uh, the pilot that was responsible for the airplane, the uh, the, the Pilot training training pilot instructor pilot in the right seat did not step in and intervene. And, and again, I think it's a cultural thing. As a matter of fact, uh, the um, the renowned uh, author Malcolm Gladwell, uh, author of Outliers and many other books, mm-hmm. his premise is just that that the uh, the Oriental culture of deferring to authority was uh, was a situation that, that that led to this. But there's in, in in any approach, there's a requirement by at least U.S. airlines, and I, I would think ASEAN would have have the same uh, consideration. A call outs at a thousand feet above the touchdown, and then a call out again at five thousand feet above the touchdown. And from what I've deciphered from all of the uh, information I viewed is those call-outs did not occur. What is a call-out? It's just a verbal... Uh, here you go. Thanks, uh, Dr. Carroll. It's a verbal statement from the pilot not flying to advise the pilot flying that they're at 1,000 feet above touchdown and then again at 5,000 feet above touchdown. In, in this... Uh, uh, these call-outs apparently didn't occur. At least there was, you know, there was there was no mention of them anyway. Huh. And, uh, and uh, uh, furthermore, on the same subject, Doctor Carroll, the the um, United States U.S. pilots started a program primarily implemented at uh, United by the Alpa United Pilots in in uh, the mid '80s called CRM. That is 
cockpit resource management. In cockpit resource management, set up a, a, a different atmosphere and a different uh, perspective in the uh, cockpit in that the captain was no longer always right. And it was the duty of the uh, other pilots in the cockpit, whether they be uh, just a co-pilot and or a flight engineer, to intervene if there was, if there was a problem where they saw something wrong. Now, I, I'm not sure. I don't know what the training program of ASEAN is, but I'm guessing they do not have a viable CRM program where they where they teach the pilot not flying to intervene and say, "Hey, captain," or "Hey, pilot, flying. We have a problem here that we need to address." Uh-huh. And and uh, I, I I think the training uh, it's going to come out in in uh, future reports, particularly from from the ASEAN training staff, that they will be implementing a. Uh, a program where, where they teach CRM and no matter who's flying the airplane and what their seniority is or position in the company, uh, that the pilot not flying, uh, is, is, uh, must intervene and say, hey, captain, indoor, even take control of the airplane. There's instances where, where it becomes necessary for the co-pilot to take over the airplane and fly and, and, and save the airplane from uh, from a catastrophic situation. Yeah. And and, uh, and unfortunately that didn't that didn't occur in this situation and, and uh, uh the instructor pilot just let the um uh let the trainee pilot go too far. You know, I, I did uh, I did almost twenty years I did training in the in the Boeing seven twenty seven and I had those situations a lot where I was sitting in, in the right seat training a new captain and uh, uh, I would I would have to basically be very very judicial about when I would intervene in case that pilot was making a severe error and, and take control of the aircraft but I did there were instances where I had to do it where I felt like the situation had deteriorated to the point where where intervention in me taking control of the airplane from the experienced pilot was necessary and unfortunately that particular mentality uh, wasn't available on the flight deck uh, during ASEAN uh, flight 214 into San Francisco Yes, yes, that's, uh, you know, you talk about um, the Asian culture about, you know, that yes, they are all about saving face, and one of the things I've been concerned about is um, whether, you know, as it gets clearer uh, that it was this pilot's error, if that happens, as it seems like it will, that uh, perhaps, you know, he may think of us taking his own life rather than facing the shame of this. Yeah, well, that's it. That's interesting. That's uh, I, I I hadn't really considered that perspective, but it's 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 uh, it's worthy of consideration because that 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 is a uh, it's a possibility. Yeah, I I think uh, I, I think the reality of it is is uh, they just uh, approach the airport too high and too fast, and 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 they transition from slowing the airplane up and and getting ready to land. They 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 just got too low. And too slow, and the airplane was not recoverable. And, and uh, I tell you, as we all know, there was a, there was a lot of luck there because had they landed uh, uh, maybe ten feet shorter, had that tail section of the airplane touched down ten feet shorter, it, it, it might have been uh, totally catastrophic with no yeah. survivors. And the other uh, interesting element is there was a. Um, United 747 sitting there holding short of the runway for takeoff, and they held uh, short of the runway in in a position that was shorter than normal. Uh, 
which, uh, according to reports I've read, uh, kept them out of the oh. uh, the, the the way of the uh, of, of the cartwheeling uh, airplane. Yeah, so, 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 it that could was... have, so it could have been a lot worse. It is amazing there were only two people killed. Well, we need to take a break. My guest is Ace Abbott. He's the author of Dead Tired. Pilot Fatigue, Aviation's Insidious Killer, and we'll talk about that when we come back, Cockpit Fatigue Syndrome. And also, he's the author of The Rogue Aviator, which is a memoir of his um, years as a pilot. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, so stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into Around the World in a Glass, presented by Sportsman's. We're a show all about wine, spirits, and other beverages. Your host, Kimber Stonehouse, is a professional expert and wine enthusiast. Each week, we'll focus on a different region of the world, discuss wines and other beverages, talk about some of the top restaurants in the region, and what to pair with which wine. Just listening could make you almost an expert. Around the World in a Glass is heard live every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com welcome back to dr carol's couch if you have a question or comment for dr carol dial toll free at 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show here's dr carol lieberman and welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about when bad plane crashes happen to good passengers and why. And uh, here explaining why is my guest, Ace Abbott. He is the author of Dead Tired, Pilot Fatigue, Aviation's Insidious Killer, and The Rogue Aviator. And he's had over 36 years of aviation experience. So let's talk, um, Ace, about pilot fatigue, since indeed, as you were mentioning before, that may well uh, have played a role in this. And I, I just want to, for, for people who may have, haven't, may not have heard yet about the specifics that there were four pilots. So as you were saying before, they were supposed to be rot- rotating and having catnaps and all, but that may not have happened. So tell us about cockpit fatigue syndrome. Well, the old cockpit fatigue syndrome is, is, is one of the major, major uh, safety concerns in, in, in the world at this time because recent accidents and recent research have indicated that uh, a lot of airplanes are being crashed and or incidents severely uh, 
uh, threatening incidents are, are occurring as a result of tired pilots in the cockpit. And uh, just backtracking a bit, the last accident in, in the United States was uh, a domestic air carrier called Colgan Air operating for Continental Airlines, Flight 3407 into Buffalo, New York, a highly publicized accident in the flight crew. And the flight deck of that airplane were extremely tired. They had not been to bed in close to 30 hours. They they had uh, been catching catnaps here and catnaps there, but they were they were extremely tired. We'll call it dead tired, if you will. And that uh, problem opened up uh, not a Pandora's box, but it got the uh, it got a lot of people looking at this problem of tired pilots in. At any rate, there was the Congressional Subcommittee on Aviation Safety at which they said, told the FAA, we've got to do something regarding the tired pilots in the cockpit. The FAA has stepped forward and made some very, very significant changes that will be implemented on January 14th of next year. It was a five-year deal to get these changes, but these changes are, are going to be very, very effective in increasing, enhancing aviation safety in this country by, by U.S. air carriers. But there's a couple of caveats here. One of them is, uh, first of all, it, um, it doesn't apply to cargo pilots. So cargo pilots can still fly the very long duty days that, that they often fly. And uh, so the UPS and, and uh, well, all the other many pilots, FedEx, and those pilots that, that uh, fly on the back side of the, the circadian rhythm curve in, at uh, between 12 and 6 a.m. will still be doing that. We're still with very long duty hours. But at any rate, um, the uh, research that was performed as, as the FAA came up with these new rules and regulations indicated that after a pilot had been awake for 13 hours, he tested basically at the same skill level as someone who had a 0.05 blood alcohol level. So we, we, they took a look at that and said, boy, we've got to reduce duty times. So they reduced duty times from a maximum of 16 to a maximum of, of 13, basically. And if there are multiple legs or if it's, uh, if it's in the wee hours of, of the morning, then they reduce the uh, maximum time even more. But uh, now, now backtracking, uh, on, on this particular flight that, that these pilots were on, it's an augmented crew, so they have two additional pilots that are there available, and they will sit in the cockpit, perhaps for takeoff and landing, and then they will rotate through the front seat, through either seat, captain's or co-pilot seat, during flight, well, they get their catnap, indoor two to three hour nap, even beyond a catnap, back in the uh, back in the cabin. In and uh, on this particular flight, the uh, that option for sleep was available, but we don't know. It will probably come out in the final NTSB investigation if the pilots flying the airplane on approach had gotten that sleep. If they hadn't gotten that sleep. They were probably had been awake for at least 14 or 15 hours, and, and the insidious fatigue factor was was working on them, which resulted in processing information 
less effectively, uh, responding to external stimuli, stimuli less effectively, and, and basically making bad decisions. And, and there's a there's a, a state. I doubt if they've gotten to the state of what we call sleep deprivation euphoria. And at sleep deprivation euphoria, one of the the, the really onerous side effects is that is that the person that is in the sleep deprivation euphoria state regards very lightly threats. Any kind of threat or, or any kind of problem, they say, well, everything's going to be okay. It will work out. We won't worry about it. And, and they, they, they let down their guard, if they will, as they get into that sleep deprivation euphoria of every little thing's going to be okay. And perhaps these pilots were approaching that state. Hmm. That's very interesting. Um, yeah, that would explain why they why they made the poor judgments that they did as far as they were coming into San Francisco. Yeah, absolutely. The judgment deteriorates. That the, the more tired one gets, the, uh, the, the, the poorer the judgment is very clearly. And that's for, for pilots or truck divers or doctors or, or, or whomever. It's just uh, the, the nature of, of, of our beast, if you will. And that, that, that could have been a contributing factor. You know, as I mentioned earlier at the start of the show, there, there's usually a, uh, you know, a chain of events that leads to uh, an airplane accident. And in, in this case, we, we had the, uh, we had the relatively inexperienced pilot, and then we had the, uh, we had the instrument landing system, uh, not available. And then we had the uh, approach over water that, that, uh, that affects one's depth perception and, 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 uh, all of the above. And, and, and perhaps the, uh, the, the fatigue factor could well have been and the cultural well the, and the cultural yeah. factor that you mentioned before. Uh, there you go. Oh, thanks, Jessica. You're right. And, and the cultural factor was was another one of those uh, uh, considerations as, as as precursors that, that that led to the accident. But you know, the, the interesting uh, statistic is it's really a, 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 a radical statistic. But of the last six domestic fatal accidents in the United States. All six of them were by regional air carriers, and they fly exceedingly long duty days with short, very short rest periods. And four of the last six of those accidents, the NTSB had mentioned that tired pilots or fatigue may have played a role in the uh, in the final outcome of the uh, of the fatal crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my book, in my book, Dead Tired, I cite I cite three accidents uh, that, that that occurred as a result of pilots that had been on duty for fourteen, fifteen, or sixteen hours, or, or, or even more, and uh, they crashed airplanes, large, sophisticated jet airplanes, under under uh, well, in a couple cases, near perfect conditions. One was a uh, one was a situation with weather. Some of the folks might remember the. Uh, American Airlines crash in Little Rock, Arkansas. I think it was '97, and uh, it was a deal where uh, once again we had a uh, we had a situation with a captain in the airplane that was also a chief pilot type. And uh, as they approached Little Rock, there were there was severe weather in the area, and they they elected rather than uh, holding to let the thunderstorm move off the field and or. Uh, going to an alternate, they elected to land this airplane in a uh, 
in a driving, driving thunderstorm with crosswinds that exceeded the limit of the airplane in an incredibly wet runway. Uh, and and um, at any rate, they, they rolled the airplane up in the proverbial little ball at the end of the runway and, uh, and, and killed, uh, and actually, I think there were only 10 uh, uh, fatalities in that one, but but it was it was a prime example of uh, fatigue being being a, one of the culprits in the uh, in the result of the crash. But when I used to fly, as I you know as I've indicated in in, in my book, uh, the Rogue Aviator, I, I I tell stories on myself, and that is I used to do cat naps. I used to sleep in the airplane a lot because I often had duty days that were 18 or 20 hours even, and believe it or not, they were actually legal. But uh, I would take a catnap en route, and um, we, we now refer them to as uh, also power naps, uh, but at any rate, sleep for a half hour, 40 minutes, so that I would be refreshed and, um, and ready to land the airplane when I got to destination. And it's my premise that uh, on the vast majority of the, of the red-eye flights from California, for instance, to the East Coast and or the, the flights from um, East Coast to the United States uh, to uh, Europe and, and, uh, and the U.K., I'll bet uh, almost anything that on those flights, one of those pilots is catnapping en route, even though... The FAA, unless it's a unless it's a flight that's augmented with additional flight crews, the FAA says, "Sorry, well, you're not allowed to uh, you're not allowed to sleep on the cockpit." Because you're supposed to have at least two people all the time awake and in the cockpit, right? Yes. Here's what's here's what's really interesting, Doctor Carey. You're going you're going to love this one, and that is. Uh, Nearly 20 years ago, NASA NASA did a study, and their their study determined that it would be highly advantageous for flight crews to do this refresher nap, cat nap en route on on flights, long flights that were not uh, augmented with additional pilots. And the 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 premise was just that the little the, the little refresher nap of 30 minutes is is it really uh, charges the batteries for a long period of time however the FAA said i don't think we want to do that because we don't think it would look good passengers would not like to think that their pilots were sleeping <laughs> but anyway oh, wow. uh, well, what's amazing, Dr. Carroll, is, is many other airlines uh, around the world, most of the other airlines, have implemented this procedure where if they only have two pilots, not an augmented flight crew, and they have a long flight in the wee hours of uh, the backside of the circadian rhythm clock, uh, they, they mandate that the pilots do alternative naps. And, well, and, uh, when, go but, ahead, I'm sorry. But what about, um, I mean, you know, I, I understand the value of a cat nap, but... At the same time, what about if the pilot who's the one awake pilot has a heart attack? <laughs> well, the, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty rare, but if, if that did happen at, at, at some point in time, um, now that's, that, I, that's, that's a pretty long shot is what it boils down to, I think. It, it, it could happen, but, but that, that's kind of a long shot. And, uh, um, they, they did have an interesting uh, scenario uh, a while back. Well, wait, but, but I, I, I unfortunately need to interrupt you because we have to take a break, but we can uh, hear that interesting scenario when we come back. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll be here. <laughs> okay, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest today is Ace Abbott. He's the author of Dead Tired Pilot Fatigue, 
and uh, also the Rogue Aviator. We're talking about when bad plane crashes happen to good passengers. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about when bad plane crashes happen to good passengers. And, of course, we're uh, starting off looking at the Asiana Airlines. My guest is Ace Abbott. He is a pilot with over 36 years aviation experience, and he's been analyzing uh, what went wrong in the uh, cockpit or with the plane or why the plane crashed, um, the Asiana Airlines plane. And, of course, we won't know the, the final, final results until uh, for months, but he's certainly um, explaining what seems to be the most likely from his experience. And before we took a break, you were starting to talk about a scenario regarding a napping pilot? Yes, this happened about a year and a half ago with Air Canada. They were uh, they left Toronto and they were moved across the North Atlantic to, uh, I think, Zurich, Switzerland, and uh, it was time for the co-pilot to take a nap, which he did. But the nap got extended past the maximum 40 minutes, and I'll touch on that briefly, to uh, 75 minutes. So... Finally, he woke up, and when he woke up, he was in a groggy state, mm. which, is, which is what we refer to as sleep inertia. And after 30 to 40 minutes, that, that sleep inertia factor kicks in, and then when we wake up, we're very, very groggy, and it takes a long time to get functional. Well, he woke up, and the first thing he saw was a bright light on, uh, right in front of him, and he said, mentally, he said, oh, my gosh, that's another airplane. He grabbed the controls and made a... a, a uh, very violent, evasive action from this bright light. And uh, the uh, bright light was, of course, any guesses out there? It was Venus. He saw Venus, and sometimes that'll be very bright from the cockpit. But at any rate, he was doing evasive action uh, away from Venus, and luckily the captain immediately grabbed the airplane and got it back to the altitude they were at because there was a... uh, uh, there was a military uh, cargo airplane uh, right beneath them. So uh, just, uh, just wow. a, a, a kind, kind of a, a cockpit sleep anomaly, if you will. Yes, wow. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you, um, we were talking earlier about the uh, the 
system that was not in service at San Francisco Airport. And I know the question has come up, I mean, the, the idea that um, American pilots get trained in using visual uh, uh, markers, and so you wouldn't, I mean, you shouldn't have to rely on the automatic systems, and there's question about whether people, pilots, have gotten to be too reliant on that. But also I'm wondering about whether the training, like in Asia, is equally whether whether they train as much on um, visual cues as in America and whether they depend more or less on the visual rather than the uh, automatic. Yeah, good. All, all the very insightful uh, questions there, Dr. Carroll, and, and as follows. They are much more prone to go to the automatic because it's just it's more uh, reasonably fail safe. If you use the automatic system, uh, you know it's it's probably going to get you there. But the great problem is when you don't have the automatic system and then you have to manually hand fly the airplane as as they were doing on the approach into into San Fran. Then those those uh, visual flight rule we call them stick and letter skills are, are 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 not there. They've deteriorated because you haven't been exercising them, and and that has come up also along with the sleep deprivation problem. That has evolved as as a major problem in, in the aviation community, particularly with the uh, with the high tech airplanes. And and then you have situations where these pilots are only making maybe two. Takeoffs and landings per month, and if they're doing all that primarily on on, on the autopilot or the autopilot, they're not really they're not flying the airplane. So when the situation occurs where they have to fly the airplane, as, as they as the ASEAN ASEAN crew did, uh, they're they're they're, uh, they're they're not skilled. But uh, part of the training for for uh, uh, every pilot before he goes on the line and this is uh, signed off. From his training, he has to fly visual uh, visual approaches into a, into a runway with no ILS, and and uh, that's that's part of the training for U.S. pilots, and I, I would hope it would be for for uh, all the other airlines. I would certainly think it would be at least. Mm-hmm. Now we're we're getting close to the end of the show, and I want to give out your website and so on, but um, just in a minute or so. Um, what is your the the investigation to the TWA flight that crashed over New York um, some years ago is being reopened? And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about that. Well, I haven't studied it extensively, but uh, it's it's my understanding that there were there were 75 or 80 eyewitness reports that said they saw a uh, a flash of light ascending. Two flashes of light actually ascending, climbing towards the aircraft, and then the airplane explodes. Now, that, now, now, now uh, is, is that just some kind of coincidence, uh, or how do you explain that? And, and secondly, I haven't heard much about it lately, but during the time of the accident, I had read and heard it had been discussed that there were... Uh, uh, there were some Navy ships up in, in, in the water, not too far from there, that, that were engaged in some, you know, in some uh, um, practice activity, if you will, some maneuvers. Mm-hmm. And, and the premise was, by, by, by those folks that uh, uh, questioned the NTSB final report, the uh, premise was that, um, that there was uh, accidental firing of missiles from these uh, from these navy ships that that resulted in in, in the airplane uh, uh, airplane being uh, blown out of the sky. That's, and I, 
That's yeah. interesting. I mean, and also, and, and of course, uh, I wonder about terrorism. Um, you know, in any case, it does seem like we're not being told the whole story. Um, I want to give out your website uh, for where people can read more about the book, um, Dead Tired, and that the website is called Dead Tired Pilots, P-I-L-O-T-S, plural, deadtiredpilots.com. And um, also, for those of you who, <laughs> who are having a case of uh, fear of flying, either either where you have had it and it's just been intensified, or perhaps you uh, now this plane crash in San Francisco has uh, given you a case of it, um, you can go to my website and click on my website being drcarol.com, which is D-R-C-A-R-O-L-E.com, and you'll see Shrink on Board is one of the things that you can click on on the top. And if you click on that, Shrink on Board, you'll see the audio and the video programs that you can listen to on the ground or in the air uh, to combat your um, fear of flying. And, uh, and, make, and certainly will work, work a lot better than uh, drinking, which has physical consequences as well as, of course, potential interpersonal consequences. So, um, Ace, I would like to thank you very much for giving us, wow, you, you, you put uh, the Asiana Airlines plane on the couch, on the pilot's couch, and gave us a really good uh, explanation of all the things that, that contributed. And as you were saying, um, it's a chain of events, all the things that could have contributed to what happened and, uh, and what could have made it a much worse disaster than it is. I mean, unfortunately, not only, it's amazing that only two people died, and one of them they're now saying could have been run over. It, wasn't, it may not have even been from the crash itself. Um, so that's amazing. But, uh, yeah, of I course, go ahead. As a blessing in disguise that that airplane crashed with only, only two fatalities because now um, the other airlines will hopefully engage in, in, in the more uh, uh, productive uh, essential training for visual flight rules. But uh, anyway, um, uh, if you uh, don't mind, I want to briefly mention that my uh, website, theroguaviator.com, will allow uh, the, uh, the reader to go directly to my blog also. I have a blog oh, at, yeah. uh, yes. at okay. uh, theroguaviator.com. The book book is available every place they sell um, e-books, and it's available for soft covers uh, at, uh, say, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, and and particularly uh, Amazon, of course. It's a a fun read. The uh, the World Gaviator is is, is really a... uh, uh, it, it's a primer for the uh, for the non-pilot who can learn an awful lot about uh, uh, the uh, what goes what really the, goes on. Well, all right. Really well, well, thank you so much, Ace Abbott, and uh, I do recommend that you that my listeners go to your websites and check it out. There's more information, interesting uh, facts, and so on, and 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 your blog. Uh, connect to your blog, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.